Neurobiologics proudly presents Season 2 of Coffee with Dr. Stewart. This show will provide our listeners with up-to-date medical information from a leading neurotologist and neuromean specialist. With Dr. Stewart's broad medical knowledge, we will discuss how he helps his patients with issues such as ADD, migraines, hormones, sleep, fatigue, methylation, autism, genetic mutations, and nutritional protocols. I am your host, Kara Stewart-Mullins, and I invite you to sit back, grab your favorite beverage or cup of coffee, and let's have Coffee with Dr. Stewart. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Coffee with Dr. Stewart. I am Kara Stewart-Mullins, your host, and I'm so happy to have you here today. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon, and we gave Dr. Stewart the day off. I know it's only season, I mean, episode two, but you know what? I met this lady uh, back in February at a workshop Dr. Stewart was having, and uh, I was pretty impressed with her. We're going to talk about ADD, ADHD, uh, about her practice and some of the things she does for children, but I would first like to introduce her. Her name is Dr. Emily Gutierrez. She has her doctorate from John Hopkins University, very impressive, and also is a faculty member. She uh, got her doctorate in translational medicine. In addition to being board-certified pediatric nurse practitioner, Dr. Gutierrez is a member of the Institute of Functional Medicine. So with that, hello, Dr. Gutierrez. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. I remember meeting you back in February, and I was like, ooh, she seems fun and smart. (laughs) Well, I have a lot to keep up with with Dr. Stewart. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's a handful. But you know what? I think you're going to bring a lot to the show today. Um, First question I got to get out of the way. Do you drink coffee? Absolutely. I drink coffee all day long. In (laughs) fact, I can have a cup of coffee and go to sleep. Oh, you're like my husband. Oh, my gosh. I have a cup of coffee past 2 p.m. and I cannot go to sleep if if it's after 2. I won't be able to go to sleep that night. It's weird. Bring it on. I can do it all day Something with some mutation metabolism of caffeine that that Dr. Stewart has talked about. So Absolutely. Whole other show, I guess. But do you drink hot or cold? I, I'll take it anyway. Either way, okay. IV, whatever you have. <laughs> Caffeine injection, right? Well, we got that um, very important question out of the way. I just like to ask our guest. And I wanted to ask you, so you say translational medicine. What is that? Well, that's a great question. Translational medicine is really um, trying to bridge the gap between what we know is current evidence-based medicine and how people are practicing. Okay. Let me give you an example. We knew that you're supposed to lay their, the, your babies on their backs for about 20 years before people started doing it. So it was in the literature, but until the American Academy of Pediatrics made it policy, did clinicians start to make those recommendations. Now, and you're talking about with sudden infant death syndrome, right? You got it. Okay, because they knew that. It was in the literature, but no one had actually transposed it into practicing. Exactly. That that, makes total sense. That's what translational medicine is, is it's trying to bridge the gap between what we know is current evidence and how people are practicing. You know, and I'm so glad to hear that because it always seems behind, like medicine is, practicing medicine is behind what all the literature says out there. I mean, there's lots of documents and abstracts, white papers that come out that say this, 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 this by the PhDs and some other doctors. And then it finally comes around. Absolutely. That's known as the translational gap. And unfortunately, 
you know, clinicians are practicing to the best of their ability, but mm-hmm. a lot of times it has to become a global policy for people to actually change. So you read a lot of white papers, didn't you? <laughs> Lots yes. of reading. I know how to comb through the literature <laughs> and grade the literature and appraise the literature. Ooh, how fun. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, we brought her here today because you know, she just opened a new practice uh, a few months ago here in Austin, Texas. It's called Neuro Nutrition Associates. I think it's it's pretty interesting. I've visited your office and um, I, I definitely, well, first it's beautiful, of course. It's, it's a bunch of women in there. It looks cool. <laughs> pretty. Um, But also, um, you know, I I wanted you just to tell us a little bit about your practice and what you're trying to achieve. Well, so we opened our clinic. Um, It's been open for around a year now. Oh, sorry. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's 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 um, kind of a soft start, and we've had a harder start here in the past uh, four to five months. Uh, I have a partner, Jana Rosso. She is wonderful. So we opened um, the practice, and it's really a pediatric-only functional medicine practice. Um, Which we need. Yes. So what, what I mean by functional medicine, because a lot of people might not know the term of what functional medicine is, is that we really are trying to look at the root cause of what's going on with kiddos. A lot of times you'll get a diagnosis of something like eczema, mm-hmm. and we're really good at diagnosing eczema in mainstream medicine, and we're really good at, at, at treating it. Um, but the treatment typically never looks for the root of the problem what's, of eczema. What's causing it in the first yes. place. Yes, and, and, and absolutely with eczema, it's an immune dysfunction that can typically be um, really food has a lot to do yeah. with what's happening with the skin. So I we, now know why you were probably at Dr. Stewart's workshop because his tagline for his clinics is treat the source, not the symptoms. Yes. So and that's, it's kind of the same concept. And that's what I love about him. He's inherently a functional medicine doctor. Um, there's the Institute for Functional Medicine that's training um, a lot of clinicians are becoming certified and we're go- undergoing the certification process now. It can take up to six years. Wow. Um, but it is, it's really trying to look further into physiology and your genetics, into your immunity to figure out what the root cause of problems are. That's awesome. I know, I think the, the horizon of medicine is completely changing. And, you know, we talk about that a lot on this show, but just with people, doctors out there like you, it's, it's going to happen. Well, unfortunately, I think the pharmaceutical industry has really tried to dictate a lot of our practices, like mm-hmm. prescribing steroid creams instead of really looking at nutrition, or we're really good at knowing a lot of these pharmaceutical medicines, um, but we're not really great at trying to understand why we persistently need them. Okay, because I mean, you say that, you know, you treat chronic conditions, depression, ADD, eczema, um, not just managing the system, uh, the, the symptoms like we talked about. So that brings us to our show today. We're going to talk about ADD, ADHD, and I know that you have some opinions on that too, but let me give a a few quick statistics. Now, we did Coffee with Dr. Stewart episode three last season on ADD, ADHD with, with Dr. Stewart. It was very interesting. So I like to get, this is this is the goal of the show, to get lots of different experts' opinions and so that we can provide as much help as possible out there. Okay, Absolutely. And this is her opinions, ladies and gentlemen, but she has the background and the expertise and the paperwork to prove that she she is legitimate. So, um, you know, they say that one in 10 children now are diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. And it, it's up to 20%. And it's risen over 50% in the past five years. So as I asked Dr. Seward on that show, like, what 
what is going on? I mean, and what exactly is it? Well, so ADHD, if you if you were to look at the the diagnosis um, criteria, it's lack of attentis- attentiveness, lack of task completion, impulsiveness, hyperactivity. Um, the exact cause is unknown, but in my point of view, that it's an abnormality in neurotransmitter function and a lot in methylation, which I know Dr. Stewart is an expert on. Yeah. Um, I agree with him. I think it's inherently a dopamine problem as well. So it's not a brain problem. Like you're, nothing's wrong with your brain. Typically. typically, people with ADD, ADHD have normal intelligence and normal physiology inside the brain. Like if you were to do an MRI at a shot of the brain, you don't see any, it's not. No, it looks fine. No, and in fact, that is not a recommendation across the board because it would be a waste of money. Yeah. Because the in the majority of cases and the large majority of cases you have a normal brain scan okay that's good to know i i noticed that you do a lot um with boys and girls but you know the facts state that boys are diagnosed a lot higher than girls and can you tell me a little bit about that because i find that very interesting yeah it's it's interesting i don't think anybody has a hundred percent the answer on this question you know there's been debates of is it nature versus nurture mm-hmm. right um, and then there are theories that boys are just more disruptive, so they get diagnosed and pins, pinned more than girls yeah. that have the same physiological manifestations going on. Okay, I find that interesting, too. Dr. Stewart said it could be a little girl in the back that's very quiet but could have really bad ADD or ADHD, and she just doesn't, they just know, don't know because she's not disruptive. Absolutely, and we've gone from from diagnosing it as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder okay. um, and classifying it, you know, is it an attentive type to, um, you know, just classic a- attention deficit disorder. Now it's all kind of lumped together in the okay, literature. Okay, so they kind of dropped ADD, and now it's just ADHD. You got it. Okay. Okay, because it. it's hard to say ADD, ADHD, yes. even though I can <laughs> yes. probably spill it off. <laughs> yes. You know, and also I think sometimes girls too, you know, it, some of us are really quiet, but some of us are very talkative. And just because you're talkative doesn't mean that you have ADHD. Absolutely not. And just because you're very quiet doesn't mean that you're not paying attention either. There you go. So, and, you know, I think that it's being diagnosed as early as it is. So the typical diagnosis age is around seven. And, and why, is, why is seven the magic number? Well, if you think about it, seven where you are. So I like to know this trick in pediatrics. Well, my son's seven, so I'm like, okay, what is why? Yeah. What is it? <laughs> well, seven. So if in pediatrics, if you take five and subtract it from the age, you're usually in that grade. So, okay. Um, seven year olds are typically in second grade. Okay. And if you think about the academic curriculum in second grade, that's when we're really starting to have expectations. The reading, for our the math, the writing. Absolutely, and and sitting for sustained periods of time. Yep. You know, really for good brain um, cognition and focusing, you should be up every 20 minutes moving around. Yeah. Now, can you imagine a classroom like that? No, that's <laughs> why I get the little reports on my phone that he couldn't keep his hands uh, to himself today, you know, but he can read and write amazingly, you know, so I know that that's not lacking. But yeah, it's hard to sit still. It's hard for me to sit still for 20 minutes. So Absolutely. Well, when I ask doctors this, I always like, who diagnoses? Because, you know, do you give an official diagnosis if they come to your clinic? We can, certainly. So diagnosis is typically first nudged by the teachers. Okay, that was um, my question. And, and teachers have to be very diplomatic about this. Um, but when they're seeing, you know, disruption in the classroom or, you know, the inattentiveness or falling behind in a work, it's usually the teachers that bring it up to the parents. Okay. And then the parents come to the pediatrician or they get a neuropsych evaluation. Um, and then the diagnosis goes from there. Now, what does a neuropsych evaluation consist? 
consist of? Do you have something like that at your clinic? Typically, neuropsychologists do the big battery of psychological tests. And if you're just trying to target an inattention problem, um, the full battery is not necessary. We have other tests that we can do in the clinic. A lot of times the Vanderbilt questionnaire is used in practice, and it's a teacher questionnaire and a parent questionnaire. So you want to diagnose that they're having these symptoms in two different settings. Yeah, I have have heard of the Vanderbilt assessment. Um, So if you're a parent that, you know, gets asked by the teacher, like, hey, you may need to go get them checked out. I mean, is that something that the parents should follow through with? (sighs) That's That's a a hard question. I know. Um, Because, you know, I I think that paying attention to their inattention is important. Um, But also you can't rule out that this is just a kid that's seven. Okay. Um, So diagnosis, it should be um, a a very, a process that's well thought through. Okay. And that's a good point because I know a lot of schools just want to, and I don't, they label it, label it, label it. And I just don't feel that that's kind of the correct way to go about it. I absolutely agree. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break um, and we'll be right back with Coffee with Dr. Stewart. And welcome back, everybody. We have a special guest here today, Dr. Emily Gutierrez, John Hopkins trained, got her own practice here in Austin called Neuronutrition Associates. And we are about to get into kind of the treatment part of maybe naturally helping kids with ADD, I'm sorry, ADHD, because now in the literature, everything's kind of being called ADHD. Give me your opinion on the diagnosis that a lot of kids get today. Do you think a lot of them are being misdiagnosed? You know, diagnosis is pretty common and we're diagnosing kids more and more and more. And, you know, just like Dr. Stewart talks about autism, you Mm -hmm. know, is it really a diagnosis or is it a symptom of something else? Yeah. And that's my point of view when it comes to looking at ADHD. So when I first look at a kid and have have a family that has really some concerns over attention, I'm not as concerned about the diagnosis as what's really going on with them. I always rule out thyroid dysfunction. I think that is imperative to good practice. Also, in the literature, you'll find that a lot of kids have anemia, an iron deficient anemia, Ah. and it's mimicking the ADHD symptoms. Very interesting. Like a methylation issue, too. Oh, absolutely. And mimic ADHD. Absolutely. And lead toxicity, too, has been linked to ADHD. And if you're a poor methylator, you have an increased risk to have more of a toxic burden of lead. See, everything all comes together. It's amazing. What are your thoughts on pharmaceuticals and giving these to kids? So I, I, I'm not of the opinion that everything, all is bad or all is good. So, you know, a lot of kids can get some temporary help from being on a pharmaceutical medication. Okay. Um, in my opinion, we need to be, if they're being managed on a pharmaceutical medication, we really need to back up and try to um, use that as something temporary while we're looking for the root cause of ah, what's going on. That's very good. So things like, you know, if for ADHD, we treat them with stimulants like Vyvanse, Focalin, Ritalin, Adderall, non-stimulant medications like Intuniv or 10X or Stratera. Some people even use antidepressants. Yeah, I have heard that a lot. I yeah. find that interesting, and I don't know why. Why did they choose the antidepressant over the... A lot of times it's from medication failure from the other two. Oh, and that's genetics. The thing. Yes. Pharmacogenetics. You got it. We talked about that in previous shows. I mean, it'll tell you based upon your genetics, if you're going to have to use medications, what medications work best with your genes. Absolutely. And Kara, it's really 
sad that most clinicians have never even heard of that word pharmacogenetics before. I know. And you do that at your clinic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So pharmacogenetics is is finding out based on your own genotype how you will metabolize drugs. So you can either be an ultra rapid metabolizer or a slow metabolizer of a drug. So say that I'm a fast metabolizer of a drug and you give it to me, well, you're going to have to give me much more of that drug. That's why they say, oh, it's not not enough. Okay, let's increase your dosage. It's not working. Yeah. Yeah. And that takes me to, you know, some of the side effects because we know there's there's some side effects with, you know, they list them on all the medications that are out there. But I know personally from people that I've known, I mean, losing their personality, not smiling anymore. But what are some of the side effects that you've seen when you've seen kids that have come in? Side effects for stimulants are, you know, number one is anorexia where the kid doesn't want to eat. Yeah irritability, sleeplessness. And if you look at some of the contributing factors to inattention, um, sleep is incredibly important, and so is nutrition. So if you're not sleeping and you're not eating, are we just perpetuating the problem by giving them a medicine? Then you have a very moody, agitated child. Because you got to sleep to feel good. Yes. And then you're not eating to get, like you said, get your nutrition. Let's get into what you do at your clinic. If a patient was to come in to see you, what are some of the things that you would look at? What would you start with and how would you progress with the patient? Because I think moms are going to want to know, if I bring my child to Dr. Gutierrez, what is going to happen? First and foremost, I look at their methylation. Ah, So we know most of us have methylation deficiencies and some of us have SNPs that are more significant than others. Mm -hmm. So first I support and evaluate their methylation. Second, I definitely look at their nutrition. Um, Nutrition is just not about eating more fruits and vegetables, but they're mineral cofactors in serotonin and dopamine synthesis. So we actually need these micro and macronutrients to build and produce the neurotransmitters that are helping regulate things such as inattention. And neurotransmitters are what help the brain focus. Absolutely. Like Dr. Stewart talked about, you know, ADHD being inherently a dopamine deficiency. It's not processing quick enough. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So another thing I'll look at is other physiological causes, like we talked about before, ruling out that there's an anemia or a thyroid burden. Or, you know, you said thyroid, and that's what threw me, because you always think of thyroid, thyroid in women. You check for thyroid in kids. Do you find that a lot? Oh, absolutely. Really? Absolutely. And not only do we find um, thyroid abnormalities, you know, if you have something like Graves disease, Mm -hmm. you know, you can have a nodule on your thyroid. You can you can be that young of an age. Absolutely. You can get it very young. Wow. And a lot of people are also producing thyroid antibodies, so mm. more of a Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Yep. And that a lot of times can be 100% linked to gluten. We don't just do the, you know, TSH. A lot of practitioners will do just one lab to yeah. evaluate thyroid. We do a much more extensive lab workup, and that way we can... Free look- TS3, free TS4. That's what Dr. Stewart talked about last week. Yep, TSH, okay. free T3, free T4. I look at thyroid antibodies. I also look at reverse T3. Wow. Um, um, so you'd be surprised how many kids have thyroid that shocks, issues. That totally shocks me. It totally does. So what happens next when you start looking at the nutrition, you looked at the methylation? Yeah, and let's not, I, I, I would hate to do this show and not mention trauma and psychosocial factors, ah, right? Yes. So if a kid is under has undergone some kind of past trauma, they're in a, a state of overdrive, a fight or flight all the time. Yep. So it's something called the corticosteel. So you're, you're in, since you're in this state of just survival, naturally everything else. You're on high alert. Yeah, naturally everything else will suffer, wow. including in these kids. So I really like to out that there's been any trauma or the kid is undergoing some trauma okay or psychosocial issues so in that classroom that the teacher brings up that they have an inattention issue is there a you know is there a relationship dynamic that Does it really make them needs nervous maybe out? yeah 
who knows what the issue is. Well, who wants be? to be brought up <laughs> into the front of the class and tell them you have a problem or something? Right, right. And what does that do to the child's self-esteem, yeah. too? If they're always the one getting in trouble, if there's, you know, if peer relationships are suffering. So that's a big part of this puzzle, okay. puzzle too. And then what's next? Diet? So let's get more into diet. So like I said, you know, food is information for our body. It regulates gene expression, protein synthesis. It is essential for life. And our standard American diet, if you look at the acronyms of that, it's S-A-D. <laughs> I saw that. It's sad. It's the sad diet. It is sad. All we, the processed foods and oh, dyes and colorings. and Absolutely. Yeah. We're eating a lot of packaged and processed foods that are not minerally and nutritionally dense. Yeah. They really are faux foods. They're fake foods that we're feeding our children. Um, so we're not even giving them the fuel to make the neurotransmitters wow. that they needed to make. So you mentioned um, before when we were talking about organic, you know, because that's a big thing, non-GMO, organic. And sometimes that's really hard to find. But what's why is that so important? Organic sometimes can be hard to find. Like you're not going to find strawberries all year long that are organic yeah. because they're not grown organically around the world all the time. So organic means, you know, that they're lacking the pesticides and chemicals. Mm-hmm. to keep the weeds away. Um, they're grown from soil that that has not been uh, has pesticides and treatments in it. But not all foods are created equally when it comes to organic. There's something called the dirty dozen from the environmental yeah. working group. And those are things that are 12 of the most contaminated This is foods. non-organic. If you just go to the grocery store and you don't buy organic, these yes. foods are something to watch out for. These foods are something that even going out to eat, if you, they're not organic, I wouldn't touch them. And you they, want to read the list for us so we know? I will. Okay. I will. So the 12 most contaminated foods are peaches, apples, sweet bell peppers, celeries, nectarines, strawberries, cherries, peas, grapes, spinach, lettuce, and potatoes. Everything I love. <laughs> <laughs> And well, you're you right, could, I can't find organic all the time for our family. And that's good, though, because really you're supposed to rotate what you eat and not eat the same thing all the and time. And eat in season. Absolutely. That makes total sense. And eat and you the know rainbow. Yeah. So you're supposed to eat the rainbow every day if you think about it. And we're know, not talking about Lucky Charms. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Phytonutrient diversity. Everything from your greens, your reds, your purples. So. And I've also heard, you know, like when it's thin skin, that gives it more opportunity for the pesticides to soak Absolutely. in. And everything that you named here is like so thin skinned I could see why it would be on the dirty dozen oh yeah so you think of a strawberry think of how porous it is yeah so it's just soaking in those chemicals and keeping oh wonderful them. I, I like what you what you've said before when we've talked like don't force feed your children what does that mean exactly it's it, it can be a point of contention for families for sure yeah. I think this can be very very um, it can become a power struggle but basically parents are they are responsible for what they put in front of their children to eat they're responsible for what they put in the refrigerator and yep. they buy they are not responsible for what their children put in their mouth chew and swallow yeah Dr. Stewart says they'll eventually eat because they're hungry that's it <laughs> that is absolutely it and a lot of times the kids that are picky eaters are filling up on things like drinks and milk and, and yep. especially milk milk is one to really really watch out for okay well we're going to roll through this real quick gosh we have run out of time we may have to bring you back for a second episode because seriously this is so important. So go through just the steps real quick of what, what else you do besides the diet, nutrition, and methylation. 
Okay, I use a lot of, um, or not a lot, but I really find a lot of value in nutraceuticals. Okay. So I'm saying nutraceuticals because pharmaceuticals is something that I would prescribe like amoxicillin. I'm going to know that I'm giving exactly what I'm doing, and I'm doing it for a medicinal purpose. I really feel like in ADHD, you can do nutraceuticals, okay. and, and that can have... That's a high-grade nutrition product. That's what we absolutely, carry. Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. what we make. And Dr. Stewart, Neurobiologics has full focus, which I find I a lot of efficacy... It. But I, honestly, my favorite one lately is Methylation Complete. I the, love that. The method. little fast dissolve tablet. I love yeah. it. I love it. So I want to find out based on a child's own genetic makeup, their own nutritional status, their own methylation, what I can do to best support them. And we start with nutraceuticals because you're not going to have the side effects that you have with other yeah. medications. You're not going to have the medication trials. And you're really getting to the root of what is causing their inattention symptoms. That's awesome. And do you have... Uh, you'd go through a, f- a full panel of pharmacogenetics. If we're going to prescribe necessary. medicine or if the child that comes to us is already on medicine, there's been many pa- patients that I've done pharmacogenetics on and they're taking something that is not indicated at all. So for it them. could be a slow wean off process, but you don't do it like immediately. Yes. It, it just depends on the, on the kiddo. Okay. Uh, but pharmacogenetics is something that we use a lot in our practice. Well, everybody, gosh, we are running out of time. So I just, I just want you to know about Neuronutrition Associates because what they're doing is is great. They're looking at more of a natural approach to help kids with ADHD and some other common issues. Um, but if you have uh, some information that you need, you can visit neurobiologics.com or go to coffeewithdrstewart.com or go to neuronutritionassociates.com and you can ask for Dr. Gutierrez. I am Kara. I hope you have a beautiful and blessed Sunday and thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on the show. All right, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. This show is intended for general information and entertainment purposes only. Dr. Stewart serves as the chief science officer and lead formulator for neurobiologics and advises you to consult with your own medical professional on any information given during this programming. This information is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease or medical condition.